We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, my guy, Justin Thomas. And Justin, it was an eventful trade deadline for the Nets. We saw them move on from Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant in the same week. How are we feeling? It's so hard <laughs> to say goodbye. Oh, man, that's uh, it's been a brutal week for uh, Net fans. Um, some Net fans are relieved. Some are in mourning. Some are just coping. We're, I mean, it's it's just all the stages of, of of grief and grief and death, and it's just it's crazy, man. It's who would have thought, you know, three years ago we would be here with no KD, no Kyrie, no James Harden, one playoff, you know, series victory, and you know, kind of back to square one. We're back to the uh, 2018-19 uh, Nets in a sense. Yeah, very similar situation. Obviously, I think the talent on this team is better and there's a little bit more promise and they have draft picks now and we'll jump into those trades. Obviously, Kyrie Irving and Markeith Morris going to the Dallas Mavericks from Dorian Finney-Smith, Spencer Dinwiddie, a 2029 first round pick unprotected and two second round picks. And then today we saw Kevin Durant go to the Phoenix Suns with TJ Warren in exchange for Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, four unprotected first round picks, 23, 25, 27, 29, a 2028 first round swap. Also, two second rounders and in Josai saving some luxury tax money. What were your thoughts on these two packages? I guess starting with the Kyrie Irving return. Uh, yeah, so the Kyrie Irving return is one that, you know what, you got something for, no, you know, you got you got yeah. something out of it. Yeah, at least he got gonna, something. Yeah, he was going to walk in the offseason. You, were gonna get, you weren't going to get anything. So getting a guy like uh, Dinwiddie back, Dorian Finney-Smith, and you got draft picks back, I mean, that's, that's, it's a pretty good, it's pretty good, you know, and then at the time of the trade, you know, we're all thinking, all right, they took this package because this is the most win now package to put around Kevin Durant. You know, you have a point guard that can score 20 points tonight, can assist, can, you know, dish the ball. You have a, a wing defender, something that Kevin Durant had been asking for, uh, for a while. Uh, and you got some draft picks, you know, that you could might, may have toyed with or played with at the deadline. Obviously the Nets went in a different direction, uh, but just in terms of the Kyrie, uh, Dinwiddie Dorian Fitz trade. I thought the Nets made out pretty well. Uh, you know, ironically, both guys played well in their season debuts. If you look at this, you know, if, if you look at it, he actually played a little bit better. 
Uh, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I think with context and in a vacuum, you look at that trade return and you're like, okay, because if you go back to the offseason where there were potential sign in trades, the Nets probably would have gotten Dorian Finney-Smith and Spencer Downey, but no first-round pick and no second-round picks. And that 2029 first-round pick is definitely something interesting down the line. Will Lucas still be on the Mavs? What will they look like at that time? Could be something that really has value. Obviously, Spencer, we know what he is as a player, gotten better in Dallas with his three-point shot, gives you that big guard, also under contract for another season. So you could potentially flip that into something else if you really wanted to. And Dorian Finney-Smith, we've talked about him, and he's just that defensive wing that does all the things that you really want a role player to do and he's under contract into 24-25 with a player option in 25-26 so these also are guys that you know we're probably more win now pieces in the idea of Kevin Durant staying but the fact is they still will have value this summer if the Nets really want to go full blow it up rebuild mode so obviously in hindsight, if they knew that Kevin Durant was going to go to Phoenix, maybe they accept the Lakers package of two first-round picks or something a little different. But this might have been the perfect in-between where the Nets can pivot either way. You know what? I, I will say I was ecstatic when I saw that they were getting Dorian Finney-Smith because if anybody has really followed me on Twitter, especially in Mavericks Twitter, they know. Um, I have been wanting Dorian Finney-Smith on the Nets for a while. Like I, ha- I was putting him in trade packages and, and things like that um back when i think it was right after the uh nets buck series when joe sold us and i was like you know what yep. we should trade we should sell high on joe we get dorian finney smith who's a three and d guy who was basically hitting three threes a game at that point can lock up he played he guards the guy the other team's best uh uh offensive player um reliable rarely ever out of the lineup uh just brings good vibes so i was really excited about that but you know what you know what that meme is like, I've won, but at what cost? Yeah. Uh, that's pretty much how I'm feeling uh, right now. But yes, definitely, you know, I thought the 2029 pick was def- was was certainly a big get because, yeah, like you said, you don't know what's going to happen with Dallas in the future. We, I know the, the, the jokes are, you know, you trade for an eighth grader or things like that, but hey, you you replenish the pick's cupboard. And I, I think that's the big thing that you get out of this is, you know, everybody was like, Oh, you know, the Nets, all those pick swaps with Houston, they don't got nothing in the tank. You know, they don't have nothing to trade. And you know what, as much as I hate to say it, kudos to Sean Mark for Sean Marks for, you know, getting Dallas to come up off, you know, those two draft picks. Yeah. I think that's definitely something, you know, the first round pick and then also the two seconds, which, we saw seconds move today at the deadline like we've never seen the moon before for players. So maybe that's something to kind of keep an eye on moving forward. But overall, you know, that that kind of that trade in Kyrie's, you know, stint in Brooklyn is now over. We're not going to really jump into that on this episode, but moving over to the Kevin Durant trade. And I think just a quick note on it before we jump into it is the Nets only dealt with the Phoenix Suns. They wanted to do right by Kevin Durant, who rescinded his trade request over the summer. It seemed like there was some type of agreement of, you know, things go south this season, Kevin. We'll send you to where you want to go. And I think that was probably important in the grand scheme of things in maintaining a relation, a positive relationship with Kevin Durant, which can go a long way potentially in the future. But what were your thoughts on this return? And did it live up to expectations or it wasn't enough? Uh... I don't know. It's, I think it's a hard situation know, to gauge. It is right. It's, it's just, it's always hard when you're thinking about Dan, like you really traded Kevin Durant. Like, I think my initial thought was, how do you not get some type of all-star caliber guy back? Just in the case of like, you traded Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and got no all-stars back. Yep. Um, but especially for the Kevin Durant one, obviously 
you knew Mikhail was going to come because he'd been rumored. You knew Cam was going to come. Like these, these are the guys that were in trade packages even over the summer. Um, getting the four, uh, getting the four uh, first round picks was was big. Um, I don't know. It's just it's it's still one of those things where it's like the wound hasn't healed yet. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's 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 one of those like all right, moving forward, these guys kind of fit the timeline of a lot of the guys that are on the Nets, right? It's you got you know quite a few young guys. Uh, you know, some people that are under contract. I know Cam Johnson is needs to be re-signed in the offseason, but you know, you'll cross that bridge when you get there. Uh it's 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 hard going back from, you know, I, I liken the Nets from a mom and pop shop, you know, early on to, you know, now you're trading on Wall Street. And yep. you know what? Now you're back from Wall Street, you're back in the mom and pop shop, you're back in the gutter. Not to say the gut the proverbial gutter, but you know, you're just you're not a contender anymore. And it's kind of a, a humbling feeling going from a team that, you know, 96 hours ago, we're talking about, oh, they just make one move and they're right up there with the Celtics to, all right, well, time to retool and uh, look forward towards the future. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great way to put it. I think what hurts is obviously over the summer, we heard rumblings of potentially landing Jalen Brown or Brandon Ingram, you know, two guys that you truly could think about building your franchise around. Obviously, Jalen had those comments about Joe Sy, so that probably eliminated that option, if that was even still an option at this point in time. But, you know, maybe the Pelicans could have came up with something that was a little bit better, you know, match the draft picks. And instead of Mikael Bridges, you get Brandon Ingram, who is an all-star level player. I think, you know, even best case scenario is maybe Mikel could make a few all-star games, but he's probably more in that fringe all-star range. And Cam Johnson, just a really good role player. But, you know, if they they were focused on making sure doing right by Kevin Durant and giving an opportunity to win another championship, you know, good for KD. Because I think I, I don't I can't say I have any ill will towards Kevin Durant and his departure. Obviously, I would have loved to see him win a championship. Probably would have seen love to see him come here with friends that were a little bit more available and committed to winning in Brooklyn. But at the end of the day, he was a professional on the court and never missed a game for anything other than an injury. Yeah. I, I, I'm a little bit more reserved in it. I just, you know, I, I just feel like, you know, one of those, like, yes, it was a lot of BS happened in Brooklyn over the past, you know, two, three years. And yes, the guys that he expected to, you know, take with him, on this journey to a championship, you know, failed him. Right. Um, but at the same time, you know, sometimes, you know, I know all the jokes are made and things like that, but you know, sometimes you got to tip your hat to a guy like Dame Lillard who just, you know, no matter what, yep. he's just going to stick by that organization. And, you know, I kind of, you know, when the trade request was put out in the summer, it was one of those gut, you know, gut punch feelings. So him being traded to the Suns wasn't as shocking, yep. you know, when it finally came, it was like, all right, well, you know, we had kind of expect half expected this, but you know what? It would have been a little bit nice to see him just be like, you know what? It is what it is. Just give me some guys around me and, and I'll carry us, um, you know, but I don't, I also feel weird with the whole, like doing right by a player. I understand that it's all about connections and relationships in the NBA. And I know maybe Mark's felt like he failed him and, wanted to do right by him. But at the same time, I don't want to hear that as a fan. Like I saw the Sean Marks comments, um, you know, prior to the game and it, it didn't leave a good taste in my mouth as a fan. Like, why do I care that, you know, you're sending Kevin Durant off to go pursue a championship with another team. Like he was on my team. He was supposed to lead our team to a championship, you know, and I, and it makes me feel like you didn't do everything in your power to help him out and to help us out. Um, 
So it's not a case. I, I can't see myself, you know, being if the Suns end up making the finals and, and winning, I, it's not a case where I can see myself being happy and be like, oh, yeah, well, good for Kevin, because at the end of the day, I'm a Nets fan. Um, yep. I want what's best for the for the Brooklyn Nets. I wanted Kevin Durant is the best player to ever don a Nets jersey. So, you know, I, I've I've been following this team since the Marbury days. Like I, I remember when they traded for Jason Kidd. I remember when they traded Jason Kidd and how much yep. it broke me. Um, you know, I remember Vince Carter. I remember when they didn't bring back Kenya Martin and that broke me too. Like been through the ups and downs of this franchise, a franchise that hasn't been to the Eastern Conference Finals since the Bush administration, right? So. For you to just trade a guy that gave us the best chance to get to the Eastern Conference Finals, it's it it, it, it hurts, right? And I know the return is good and, and, and things like that. And no, the future is, is a lot brighter than it was after the whole Boston fiasco. But it's still one of those things that that just kind of leaves a sour taste in your mouth. And it probably won't leave until maybe the end of the season. Yeah, I think you, in a perfect world as a fan, you would have loved to see KD kind of run it back with this squad and maybe the Nets could acquire somebody at the deadline. You know, there was rumblings. They were trying to get OG, Karis LeVert, or John Collins. You know, maybe even there was some late talk about Zach Levine being available, you know, three hours before the deadline. So maybe the Nets could have done that, and they could have had one more run with KD this year and a chance at a a crucial championship for his resume. You know, a championship that would have been – all about Kevin Durant and carrying essentially a lot of fringe all-stars and role players to that, you know, potential spot. And like you said, I think the most important thing for this is everyone's entitled to feel how they want to feel because there was a lot of emotion from the time Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving signed in Brooklyn and what the expectations would be for this franchise after having such a miserable decade before that, you know, after having to revive the team after the Boston Celtics trade and all those different things that have kind of gone wrong. So it was a really disappointing era, you know, from Kyrie and Katie to the inclusion of James Harden. It just felt like, in my opinion, the moment James Harden requested a trade, the Nets went to playing the in-between. You know, they didn't fully commit to going all out and adding that extra piece to be a championship roster with KD and Kyrie, and they were still unwilling to kind of blow it up. And we kind of even almost saw that to an extent today at the deadline where they didn't move a couple more role players for picks. So the fact is that Sean Marks and Joe side definitely failed Kevin Durant. There are other components, and obviously Kyrie Irving and James Harden, what they did. But overall, it was just felt like, a disappointment. You know, there's really no other way to put it. Just nothing over the course of the last three years has went the way the Nets or the Nets fans wanted it to go. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's like it's the perfect storm, right? Like who would have predicted a global pandemic yeah. would basically be the reason why the Nets, you know, situation ultimately failed, right? Like if there's no pandemic, there's there's no bubble. There's no then there's no mandate. You know, there's no mandate, which only affected New York, which Eric. <laughs> There was like Adams. three teams. <laughs> I, I I promise you, for as long as I live, there will, I will always have hate in my heart for quite a few people. Eric Adams is on the top of that list. And that's just, that's just from the basketball perspective. I'm not even talking about just how bad I think he is as a mayor and a person. But, I mean, it's just, it's crazy, right? And then Kyrie is not, not back, so he's not playing home games. And then, like, there's tension there in the locker room. He's in and out of the lineup. And then you have the the trade request and you have Harden dogging it. It's just like, Oh my gosh, so many things going so wrong. And it's like, how did this happen? Then you have an owner that's just being petty at every single turn and not letting the basketball people handle basketball things. And it's, 
it's crazy. It's it's uh, I know people joke about like the 30 for like the 30 for 30 on this. And I really don't think it's like that crazy a story that will get it. I don't think it's that interesting because um, it couldn't be some uh, summed up in probably about 45 minutes. But, you know, it's just, it, it, it's crazy to think that, you know, we're we were once talking about Kevin Durant leading this team to a championship. And now we're talking about, all right, well, hopefully Cam Thomas develops into a superstar and, you know, hopefully we build around him. Like it's, it's, it's insane, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I think you were, they were as close as going to the Eastern conference finals by a couple inches with Kevin Durant's foot on the line. You know, that's how close they really were in that situation. You know, they're uh, a reckless, you know, box out probably away from an Eastern Conference final with Giannis taking out Kyrie's ankle or James Harden's hamstring not acting up, whatever it was. You know, there are so many different variables. And like you said, the pandemic, the mandate, Harden coming to camp out of shape and then having an uneasy relationship with Kevin Durant. It's just all of these personalities and the way that they mixed didn't end up being positive. And then the guy they brought in to manage these personalities and Steve Nash was completely incapable of doing that and also managing on the court. And as you said with Joe Sy, you know, owners can be involved, but the fact is that I've had to talk about Joe Sy this much on a basketball podcast is kind of insane considering he's only owned the, the team for three years. And he, he hasn't necessarily had a major NBA scandal either. You know, there's other things that are on his resume that aren't pretty that we're not going to jump into. But the fact is that he was always brought up, always involved. And there was, you know, tweets or whatever it was. It just felt like Joe Sy wanted to gather attention and do things the way that he wanted. And then also Sean Marks, probably not being aggressive enough in the trade market you know going back as i mentioned to the deadline last year you move off a hard and you get those two first round picks flip them into jeremy grant give yourself a real opportunity to win last season you know and then pivot again in the offseason if you have to i think there's too much of a waiting around when as we've seen over the last couple decades championship windows can be shut in a matter of weeks or a week in the nets case We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, it's uh, it's not the best. And, you know, I had a tweet out, I think, the other day, just kind of giving a, re- a a brief summary of Joe Sly's resume since he's taken over this team, right? Three different CEOs of BSE Global. And if you don't know, BSE Global is basically the company that, you know, runs runs and owns the Nets, right? Alleged broken promises to uh, Barclays Center's employees, you know, for paying, you know, during COVID. Uh, increased ticket prices, skyrocket ticket prices. And I should know because I'm a season ticket holder. Um, 
Three different let's heads. mention that with the season ticket thing, he did it at a time where we were unsure if Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were even going to be on the team this season. Bingo. And it, I'm telling you, it was, it, it, it's insane. Like you had no idea whether this team was going to look like uh, a lot, if they were going to look the Pistons or they were going to look like a championship team, but mind you know, got to get, got to recoup those uh, losses uh, that were had during COVID, right? Three different head coaches, two superstars that come and gone. Well, now three, Right. How do you know how bad that looks? You have three superstars come in and out of your door in less than three years. That that that's not a red flag to people. J- Joe Sai is so lucky he's not named James Dolan because <laughs> this was James Dolan. James Dolan would have to be brought into witness protection program because Knicks fans would literally be outside MSG with pitchforks and knives like they, they would be with, with torches and everything like it would be an in- incredible scene with how bad of a blunder this is like it i can honestly say joe Sia is a worse nba owner than james dolan which is insane to say now mind you J- joe Sia is an amazing WNBA owner if he was <laughs> as good at his job in the nba as he was at the WNBA, i would have no problems with him he has done an amazing job as owner of the liberty he's fostered a great environment he's a champion for the women's game he, i mean look stewie and slew like they They've come to Brooklyn like it's a championship team. It's amazing that the, the a banner will be raised in Barclays, not for the Nets, but for the Liberty. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Who would have thought that a few years ago? So I think some uh, credit goes to Clara for a lot of that stuff with the Liberty, it seems. I'm about to say, Clara, Clara better at this than Joe. Joe need to just take yeah. a, he need to, he need to go somewhere. I'm just, I'm just Take a backseat to everybody at this point. I mean, I think that's what, there's a lot of frustration with Joe Sai, and obviously there's other components to it, and he's not the only reason, but he's a big reason, and he's the guy at the top. So it, it's always going to kind of look at him, and like you said, it's just a lot of things that didn't necessarily make people feel very good about what he was doing out there, and just his inclusion in a lot of things in the way that, he seemed emotional and a spot where you're supposed to kind of be relaxed as an owner and just manage things and manage everyone's emotion. He wasn't, he wasn't giving that to the nets. And I think, as you mentioned, you know, trying to make money back in COVID and we're talking about a guy who made a ton of money away from basketball because of COVID and also a guy who bought the nets at a price point that has drastically increased over the time of his ownership. So I'm never going to feel bad about his money and how much money he spent. And then there was even that article about the penthouse he bought in New York city. So Joe Sai, yeah, yeah, he's, he's gonna, you know, people defend him, but he played a large role in this not going well. And as you mentioned, you know, not good ownership. And he's very lucky that he has a team in a big market in Brooklyn, because if this was, I don't want to say a small market team because it feels disrespectful, but include, you know, X, X team, they they would never get another star again. The Nets are lucky they're in Brooklyn and things just might end up being that way because someone wants to play in New York and get that spotlight. Yeah, but that's, that's what I'm afraid of. Honestly, I, I'm afraid that, you know, even though Sean Marks did right by Katie and maybe that goes a long way and like maybe players see that and was like, Oh, you know, kudos to him. I just don't see another star coming to Brooklyn um, anytime soon. You know, not at least not with this regime in place, not with this ownership group. And honestly, not only not with this front office, um, the Nets have historically not gotten superstars, right? Like the best stretch in Nets basketball came when the superstar, quote unquote, was Jason Kidd, you know, but that was but that was a great team construction. You had great energy with Kenya Martin. You had, you know, a great young guy in Richard Jefferson. You had key role players. Um, and you know, and it I, was I, just a different era of basketball. 
It was. It, it definitely wasn't a star-driven league. It was a team-driven league. But at the same time, you had GMs that knew, like, all right, I need certain guys. I need to fill certain holes. And one of the things I really respected about Rod Thorne, and I didn't really come to, to, to really understand it until I got older, but just how he was able to create some of these teams and what, what he did. The biggest takeaway is after the Nets got obliterated in the NBA Finals that first year against the Lakers, right? And Shaq was just putting up absolute monster numbers on us. Rod Thorne went out and got Dikembe Mutombo, who had played Shaq as best as anybody in the league could possibly play. Now, it didn't work out because, one, Dikembe ended up breaking his wrist at some point in the season, and the Nets didn't play the Lakers. They played the Spurs. The league also, I think, was like, I think it was like around the time where like that three seconds rule was kind of really, really being enforced, which kind of took that, you know, the lumbering, uh, you know, paint protector out of the paint. Um, but you know what it showed me? It showed me that it was a GM that he saw a hole and he made, he went out of his way to fix it. And I think that's one of the problems we've seen with Sean Marks. How long have we been asking Sean Marks, we need a wing? Sean Marks, we need a backup big. Sean Marks, we need a stretch four, stretch five, right? And we haven't gotten the answers to our prayers really like that, except for now. Now we have a bunch of wings, but the guy that wanted the wings is not even here. Um, now we have uh, all wings, one point guard and one center, or maybe two centers, however you want to look at it. And I think it, it's with a, the thing with Sean Marks is there's always a level of roster imbalance. And sometimes it's positionally, sometimes it's skill wise. You look at last year's roster, there was a lack of three point shooting after going deep into a lot of guys that were just defenders. And that's really all they could do. So as you said, Marks is just hasn't necessarily been able to put the finishing touches on a championship roster. Obviously, you know, when uh, the Kyrie, James Harden, Kevin Durant team was great, it still had its flaws. It just didn't really matter because they had, you know, three of the greatest players of this generation and two of the best offensive players of all time in KD and James Harden. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's easy. Stars are, you know, they're, they're Band-Aids, yeah. right? Like they, they cover up a they're lot bandages. of bandages. Yeah, bandages. Like, like they... Like we we saw it all the time with 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 KD when it was just him out there by himself. He covers up so many holes, and that that was kind of a big reason why the team went on that eleven game losing streak last season. And you know it's it's just a shame that you know you had a GM that you know I when he when he said that you know they did the best they could, I I didn't believe him. I it felt like a slap in the face to me because I didn't think that they did the best. Like how many times were we asking? You know, and it felt like very, it wasn't like Nets fans were asking for like, oh, we got to get like a fourth star or something like that. It were guys that were like marginal players. Like, like you, you know, said, Dorian Finney-Smith was a guy that would have made a lot of sense on this team for the last two years. Yeah, guys that are on the margin, they're winning players that don't show up on highlight reels. They're not on Hoops Highlight. They're not on the Bleacher Report. But there are guys that, you know, NBA, people that watch the NBA, they know, oh, that's a guy that can, he, you know, produces winning basketball. Um, and that's just something that had been missing yeah, it was the shortcuts to get to a chip. And, you know, they were almost there, right? Kevin Durant, two sides away, uh, uh, Kyrie, ankle, Kyrie Irving ankle roll away, James Harden hamstring away, you know, and maybe we're having a different conversation. But a yeah, different just, city with no mandate. I mean, there's just yeah, a lot of different just, what is. Just, just, just run down. It's a laundry list of things that just had to happen. It was just the what anything that could happen did happen. And, you know, unfortunately, Nets fans have to take the brunt of it. I guess one final question on KD, and then we'll just take a look at this year's roster and moving forward. Would you have liked for Kevin Durant to stay for the rest of the season, compete for a championship, and then look to move him, you know, early in the offseason? 
Yes, I would have definitely preferred that. At least go down swinging. You know what I'm yep. saying? Like at least, you know what, Kevin? Here's what we got. Here's what we have for you. We'll make one more move at the deadline. And you know what? Let's see what we do. I thought, I honestly thought that they could, they could, you know, 2019 Toronto Raptors this thing to a chip. You know, like that was a Toronto Raptors team that the only superstar was um, Kawhi Leonard. It was surrounded by a bunch of quality role players, a bunch of really good wings. Obviously, you had the the emergence of Fred Van Vliet, you know, dad powers and things like that. But it was just a, a team of really solid guys. And I thought the Nets were just a piece away. After the Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, I'm like, all right, you get one more piece of this team. And, yo, you have the length and size to match up with just about anybody in the league, especially the Celtics. And you know what? See what you got. Like Kevin Durant, and if Kevin Durant is really that guy, he could will you to a, a chip. But – Unfortunately, that's just not what happened. Uh, I would definitely much rather them see it do one last shot. And if it didn't work, you know what? At least he went down swinging, trade him in the offseason, uh, and then just start the rebuild. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I think also because the trade package wasn't blowing me out of the water. It wasn't the best thing in the world. And I think there's also the thought that there could have maybe been something better in the offseason where everyone has a chance to kind of settle down and look at some different things and evaluate their roster. And maybe someone who's really good would be a little bit more aggressive in making that move. So and like you said, you know, it was an opportunity. I thought it could have been a, a legacy run for KD, even if he didn't go to the finals. You know, a strong trip to the Eastern Conference finals with no other all-star, I would go a long way. And yep. potentially potentially could have added maybe one or two fringe all-stars to help this out and make that push. And as I said before, maybe Zach Levine could have been added to this team or somebody of that caliber to really, you know, help do something. Or maybe even right at draft night when another, you know, two picks become available, the Nets could even make a bigger splash. But another one for this era of Nets basketball, hopefully the what-ifs is not something we're going to be have to, to talk about a lot moving forward. I guess just looking at this roster and what the Nets have right now, we have Spencer Dinwiddie, Cam Thomas, Mikel Bridges, Dorian Finney-Smith, Nick Claxton, Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Cam Johnson, Royce O'Neal, Dayron Sharp, Joe Harris, Edmund Sumner, and uh, Yuta Watanabe, Drew Smith on a two-way, David Duke Jr. on a two-way, Tell me what your thoughts are on this roster, I guess, from a general point of view. In general point of view, it's not as bad as, you know, the dark ages when after the uh, implosion of the, the Boston trade and, you know, when Pierce and Garnett and Terry and all them ended up leaving. Um, it's a lot of potential, a lot of potential here uh, with this team, a lot of a lot of assets, if you will. And, you know, I really don't like thinking of players as assets because they're human beings, um, but there's a lot of tradable contracts, a lot of guys that, that teams will want. Like I was very, very surprised that the Nets didn't move, you know, a guy like Dorian Finney-Smith or Mikhail Bridges, because I think they could have probably reeled in a, a, a boatload of first round picks. Um, I was seeing rumors of Mikhail probably could have gone for three or four first round picks, which would have been huge in, in, in helping this rebuild. But, you know, they, they got a good team. That's a team that'll get to the playoffs. You know, I like over, over the, when I first saw the Kevin Durant, I'm like, all right, well, we're done. We're done. But I slept on it. Um, and no, this is a playoff caliber team. I think it's better than that 2018-19 Nets team with yep. D'Lo. Um, I don't think they'll get far. You know, they might shock somebody depending on where they land in the seating. They might get out. If they're a four or five matchup, I think they could, you know, get out that round. But I don't see them competing. Um, but, you know, it'd be good to get a guy like Cam Thomas, um, you know, some playoff minutes, you know, see what it's like really on the big stage when all the eyes are on you, because he'll now be one of the focal points of the offense. And this is what your future is going to look like. So there's, and yeah, you know, Cam Johnson, I'm very ex interested to see how he plays. I wonder if the, I'm curious to see whether the Nets extend him or what they do. Maybe a sign and trade is a possibility as well. 
restricted free agent. So that gives you a little bit of uh, leniency and kind of a an opportunity to relax and let the market dictate the price. Yeah. So it's just the, the, Net, the Nets have options. And I think that's the most important thing now. Back then, you really didn't have anything. You, you were just in the cellar and you had to dig your way out. Right now, like we don't need a shovel. We're still above ground. And I think that's the most important thing when looking at and assessing this Nets roster is there's a lot of there's a lot of good things about it. It's not all doom and gloom. Um, there's things to be happy about. And at, at, at the least, at the very least, you're going to get a product for the next 27 games that will hustle and do all the things that, you know, all those culture vultures uh, love. Yeah, I think it'll be a competitive roster. I think the one thing that sticks out is the defense of this roster, as we touched on on our uh, previous recap, you know, Nick Claxton, Mikel Bridges, two defensive player of the year level players. Like they are really that good. They're going to be playing on the same team. Dorian Finney-Smith, a very good defender. Some solid defenders in uh, Ben Simmons, Royce O'Neal. Spencer can defend when he wants to. Uh, And then you just see all the three-point shooting. You know, they probably lack a little bit of ball handling and creation at times. That's a, a lot of dependency on Spencer Dewey and Cam Thomas. It would be great if Ben found that juice again, but it's hard to have faith in that. Uh, Seth Curry, I think, is going to be interesting for the rest of the season. He was a guy that I thought was a lock to get moved uh, just because he was an expiring contract. And, you know, three-point shooting can always help a contender. They weren't able to secure even a couple second-round picks, or maybe they didn't even try. Uh, Royce O'Neal, I thought he could potentially be moved. I think there's a lot of flexibility with this roster, and they can pivot into some different things. And then just touching on the draft picks that they do have, uh, we mentioned it before. They were able to add 20, 2023, 2025, 2027, 2029 from the Suns, all on protected. Also grab that 2029 first from Dallas, still have that 2027 Sixers first round pick that's top eight protected. So there is a lot of flexibility in terms of what they can do moving forward in terms of acquisition or adding more assets. What is what are you expecting? I guess Justin going into this offseason, and you know maybe the the short term forecast of this team in terms of what the plan is, if they even have one at this point. Yeah, I'm not sure if they really have a plan. Um, but that mm. became apparent Wouldn't to be, me. Would be so yeah. surprising. <laughs> <laughs> that that kind of became apparent to me when they stayed pat pretty much at the deadline. I don't really, yeah. I really, I, yeah, they got picks for Jay Crowder, but you knew Jay as soon as I saw Jay Crowder included in that trade package, I knew he was being flipped. Yep. Like you, you knew he was getting out. It was just a matter of like, or what's the, what are the Nets going to get back? And they got three, three, uh, second round picks. So ended up actually only being two because, uh, just, I didn't want to pay the money. And they said, uh, Jordan Nawara and Serge Ibaka to the Pacers. So the Pacers ended up with three and the Nets only got two in that trade and obviously luxury tax saving, but no fan cares about that. Oh, oh, well, I am just, uh, you know what? That just, that just warms my heart. I'm so <laughs> glad that Joe Sy was able to save some money so he can get his fourth penthouse in yeah. Brooklyn. I am so happy about that luxury tax savings. Good grief. But you know, I'm, I was ve- definitely surprised that they still stuck, stuck with Seth. Um, yeah. Patty, I just, you know, it's funny. I just don't think there's a trade market for Patty Mills right now. He's just kind of that bad. Not in the NBA. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but I, I was surprised that they didn't get off of Seth. You know, I thought maybe, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe they could have gotten involved with, you know, one of those Clippers trades. Uh, you know, I saw that they, the John Wall was going to the Rockets, John going to the Rockets but they're going to buy him out. You know, I, I saw floating around that there, maybe there was a uh, Ben Simmons for Russell Westbrook trade. And I'm like, all right, I would have taken that in a heartbeat because, all right, Russ is going to be going at the end of the year, right? Or you could just buy him out so his money comes off the books. 
And if at the worst case scenario, he's just playing basketball and you know, he gives effort and heart, something that Ben Simmons has not given the Nets all season. So if anything, Rasta gives too much. <laughs> hey man, look, I'll, and no, but that, that, that's the thing. He, yeah. he'll be beloved by this fan base because this fan base just has like a, uh, a, 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 what is it? A, a, a try hard, like fetish. I, I just yeah. don't understand. It's just, you know, if you, if you come in and hustle and you dive on the floor once, you know, this fan base will love you forever. Um, so I, I think that he would have definitely just, you know, and if anything, he puts butts in the seats, which would then appease Joe Sai. So it, it, um, it was one of those situations where I was curious as to why they didn't move some guys. I'm wondering what happens to them now in the off season. I feel like you're kind of hand, handicapping yourself or handcuffing yourself uh, with some of these assets that could have been moved. There are definitely teams that could have used a Joe Harris that could have used a Seth Curry um, at this trade. Deadline. Royce O'Neal even like, I think Royce, uh, yeah. they put themselves in a position too, where they have too many players around the same level. And now guys aren't going to get minutes and that doesn't necessarily help their value. Even like, honestly, I would have probably considered moving on from Utah Watanabe just because you're probably not going to be able to resign him unless the Nets find a way to find cap space. Like he, he might get a deal that's too big for them to resign. So I think you had to be open to probably acquire. I thought they would acquire at least a few more second round picks and maybe a heavily protected first or another swap. But it, it was a strange day. It felt like after the Crowder trade happened, they were just like, all right, we're good. Yeah, he's asleep. He's asleep at the wheel. I don't know. Like he might have, he might have been taking. Maybe they were resting like Pat. Ryan, I was just I about know. to say. I was just asked where I was going. He might, he might have been resting or like what's what's the meme? Was like, oh, uh, bro, bro froze. He hasn't moved in <laughs> x amount of minutes or something like that. Like it was just one of those situations. Um, yeah, it, you know, it's a good point you bring up about Yuta Watanabe because the, the the better he plays, he's just playing himself into a bigger contract. And you know what? It's good for him. Like I would, I, yeah. if if the Nets lost Yuta Watanabe in the offseason because the team wants to give him like a two three year deal, you know what? I'm I'm happy. You know, he's he's a, he's a guy that I, I've liked this whole season. Uh, he's a guy I watched even when he was at George Washington. You know, so I was very familiar with his game. So, but that's the, that's the risk you run. Um, I just. I don't know where they really go from here. If the if the plan is to just build around Cam and Claxton, then okay. But I need to see the moves that fit that. I need to see the moves that fit that timeline. Um, but I guess time time definitely will tell. Yeah, and I think it's fair to question if you know those are two guys that I don't want to say are worth building around, but are they going to be able to hit? the caliber that you need to win a championship. And I think that's always going to be the goal. And that's always has to be the goal for a team. It's how do I get back to being a championship level team? It's fine for them to be competitive for the next, you know, 27, 28 games, but it's what's the plan after that? Like, how are we finding a way to get to that next step? Are we going to go the free agency route? Are we trying to acquire assets and build up this roster and make a trade for the next available superstar? When does that happen? You know, I think there just has to be some level of clarity of what the intentions are for this team. And hopefully we get a better idea of that this summer. You know, the deadline didn't really give us a lot. Obviously, as we mentioned before, the Kyrie trade was more win now. KD was more for the future. The way they handled the rest of the deadline was kind of just that in between that we just complained about for the last two seasons. But Justin, anything else you want to get off your chest before we get out of here on probably one of the most depressing trade deadlines a team can encounter in any sport yeah no it's, it was it was it was tough but i just i guess i just want to like get off it's like i hope i hope people listening to this don't think that i'm excusing the you know 
the behaviors of the players. A player, as much as I crap on Joe Sy and Sean Marks, um, you know, the players at the end of the day had a lot to do with this, and there was blame on all all levels. And obviously, you know, you're going to have the people that want their pound of flesh for for Kyrie, that want their pound of flesh for James Harden, and you know, yeah, like Kyrie is one of those. I noticed that the Nets didn't give him a, a thank you a tweet, <laughs> um, which you know what, at at some point, it's like you know what, I I kind of felt felt that way too. You know, as, as as great as Kyrie Irving, as great as the moments he gave us, right? And I, I, I tweeted this out. I was like, you know what? I'll remember Kyrie Irving's time here. He was a guy that gave some of the greatest moments in Nets basketball history on the court, while also simultaneously giving us some of the worst. He's an amazing talent with a devastating lack of accountability and self-awareness. Um, and he caused a lot of the problems that have put us in the situation now where we're trading him and Kevin Durant. Um you know, whether it's the hiatus, uh, the birthday party, not getting vaxxed, um, sending out the tweet, just being unavailable when he should be available. Um, and, and even just the things that kind of rubbed me the wrong way was, you know, when he left and he's saying like, oh, yeah, I put these boys in in fourth place. And it's like, well, Kai, like we were a half game out of first place yep. at the time of Katie's injury after that heat game. You know, so you you leaving us in fourth place kind of detracts from like you trying to like get that haha, I told you so moment, you know, and then just the whole case of like, oh, you know, I didn't feel respected in the York and things like that. And I feel like sometimes I thought players, about leaving after year one. Yeah. Like, and it's like, all right, well, then everything you were telling fans was just a lie the whole time. And, you know, if you have your if, if you have your qualms and your beefs with ownership and and the front office, you know, like. Why are you taking down the why? Why must the fans suffer? You know, I feel like this whole situation since the summertime was just, you know, it's 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 one parent and another parent, and they're getting it's like an ugly divorce, and the fans are the 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 kid in the middle that just have to yeah. kind of either pick a side or it, it ends badly for you know for for everyone involved. Um, so it's just one of those situations where lack of accountability and just you know it, it sucks. Like it's it felt like a big myth. This whole era just felt like a big middle finger to fans um that know, were super excited and just yeah. suffered and just suffered for a long time after the boston trade and just having even the finals trips with jason kidd obviously losing in the finals is painful as well and like you said it's like josiah big part of the blame sean marks didn't do a good job as gm and wasn't able to secure those aggressive moves but at the end of the day, Kyrie played a role in a lot of the problems that the Nets faced over the last couple of years. And some people will think that he didn't, and that's they're entitled to that opinion. But at the end of the day, like you said, the hiatus was a big reason the Nets made the acquisition of James Harden. That was a big reason that the Rockets had leverage over them and they had to throw all of the picks in and everything that they wanted, even though the package the Sixers were offering probably wasn't even close to what the Nets threw out there. We obviously had the whole mandate thing, which helped created more of a rift with James Harden and all of that situation, which led to the season not being successful, him not playing well in the postseason, the first round against the Celtics, had the good game one and then pretty much no-showed, had the weird comments after the series saying, I'm going to manage the team with Kevin, Joe, and Sean after I only played 30 games for the year. And then obviously this season and the trade request at the, you know, in the off season and then coming back to the Nets saying he wanted to fulfill his contract and play out the rest of the year, played really, really well for two weeks, thought that was going to be enough to get his four year max that no other team in the NBA was willing to offer him. Didn't get that, quote unquote, felt disrespected and demanded a trade. And I think 
that was probably the most frustrating part was like, hey, we finally saw this team on the floor. We saw what they can do. They went on a 12-game win streak, won 18 out of 20, looked like potentially the best team in the league in the month of December. And now you're demanding a trade after you just told us that you would never leave your man seven and that this locker room wasn't half in and that this locker room was fully in. And then two weeks later, you demand a trade. It's like you said, there is a lack of accountability. There's a lack of touch of reality, in my opinion. And it's also just the fact is like everything you've said over your course as a Brooklyn net is transcribed in a video or whatever it is. And you consistently just contradict yourself. And like you said, also, some of the greatest moments in Nets history from the second he put on a Nets jersey, his first game as a net, he dropped 50 points. Like he is one of the best basketball players in the world when he's fully locked in and engaged. The problem is he's not always available and he's not always locked in and engaged. Yeah, that I mean, just yeah, the press conference a few weeks ago when he said, What's the difference between this year and last year? <laughs> no 11 game losing streak. Oh, we don't have guys that are that are half in. I'm here. And now you're not here. And so so you just lied to the fans. Yeah. You lied to everybody. Like that's why I'm saying, like, you put your personal opinion, you that's why I say it's it's, it's blame on both sides because yeah. you have Joe side with his emotions and, and, and feelings, you have Kyrie with his emotions and feelings, and we're left sitting here like, Well, damn. So it's kind of like F us. It's just a big middle finger to the fans, and yeah, it's just like Nobody said, wanted to be the bigger person in the situation. Nobody. That, and that goes for Joe Sy, that goes for Kyrie Irving. And it felt like at times other people were trying to play the middleman in this role. And it wasn't it wasn't gonna work because there was two very big egos. Like Joe Sy is a billionaire who thinks that he knows probably everything because he's been so successful in the business world. Well, the NBA is not the business world. Your star players play a large role in how things work and managing your relationship with them is crucial. And Kyrie, on the other hand, you know, felt disrespected by Josiah, but also didn't have the level of accountability that you need if you want to be a big component of leading a team to a championship and quote unquote calling it your team. So I think that at the end of the day, that's really the biggest issue was the fact is that neither guy could kind of put their differences aside and come together for a full season to be successful. And, you know, honestly give the fans what they want, but also give the other players on the team. You know, it, it sucks a lot for the guys that came out this year, perform really well, put the work in and help the Nets get to this point that weren't named Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Yeah. And even just being fair to your teammates, how many and times... Jock Vaughn, I feel yeah, bad for Jock Vaughn. Oh, you, you have to feel, you have to feel terrible for Jock Vaughn because he finally gets the chance that he should have had over Steve Nash, who again, whose idea was that to hire him? So we have to add that to the list of the things that the, that ownership and management messed up. But Jock finally gets a chance. He's like he's literally in coach of the year at this point. Eighteen and two stretch. He's got everybody locked in. Everybody's playing from. He's being talked up big by Kyrie. He's saying like, yeah, he holds us accountable. Kevin Durant is talking him up. Everything's going good. And then all of a sudden, you just torpedo this thing. And you know, and just going back to Kyrie, it's like, you know, like how many times did, did your teammates? have to answer for your absences over the past few years you had you know i'm pretty sure james Harden was annoyed with reporters asking him yo when is Kyrie gonna get vaccinated have you talked to him about it etc 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 right you had team like joe harris shouldn't be answering to why Kyrie irving isn't there in the locker room you know what i'm saying like it, it's just a you he was a bad teammate and not in the sense that like obviously we're not in the locker rooms and you see a bunch of guys talk so highly of him he, you know and he on a personal level, 
you know, when it's just, you know, man to man, things like that, he's probably an amazing guy to them, but in a team aspect, he wasn't there for his teammates, at least not on the court. And that's one of the things that's that's just such a, a disappointment for, you know, his time here. And I think what's disappointing is, you know, a lot of us, when he came to Brooklyn and came to his, you know, childhood team of the Nets, we thought a lot of the negativity that had surrounded him in Boston and Cleveland would kind of fade away or not be as apparent. And at first it seemed like that was going to be the case, but when it came to an end, you saw some of that negativity and some of the frustrations. And like you said, I think Kyrie is probably a really good person off the court and probably and he's done a real a, a lot of really good things in terms of charity and donations and helping people out in the business of basketball and winning championships in the NBA. He can be uh, negative in terms of just your overall organization impact. And as well as Joe Sy and Sean Marks were too. Like we said, there's a lot, there's probably three main contenders, probably two, Joe Sy, Kyrie, and then Sean Marks and then James Harden, and all that, I think James Harden's just lazy, but that's a whole nother. I about to say, don't don't. Hey, I, hey, I I remember last year I was going on rants about uh, James Harden being quitted. That's the one thing I I understand being frustrated with the situation in Kyrie or everything like that, things like that. But you still had Kevin I, Durant on your team. <laughs> you did, and what I will never respect from a player in any sport is when you don't give it your all because you're not only cheating yourself, you're cheating your team. If you're not going to show up for your team, then just don't even dress, don't even show up. Yeah. You know, I'd rather and he did, did that once too. He didn't show up for the Golden State game with that random hand injury, and then the next thing you know, we saw him in Sacramento, just not play hard. And I think, like you said, that's that's embarrassing on a whole nother level. That's embarrassing, I think, on a personal level in terms of just like you put that film out of yourself not being injured and just half-assing a game against the Sacramento Kings. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those it's a weird situation where at one point I loved all three of these guys. Now I want them all to fail. <laughs> uh and you know what it, it is what it is i i've always not like the sixers um now i have to not like the suns i'll probably still like the mavs because like i have friends that are mavericks fans and my guy reddit mavs holding it down for mavericks twitter he's he's always a fun guy uh but can't root for the guy wearing number two on their team so yeah it's just it's a, it's a sucky situation that we were put in but you know what so you can only be hopeful, right? At least, yeah. at least you have draft picks. At least you have a budding star in Cam Thomas and Nick Claxton. At least you have movable, uh, movable pieces. You know, you got guys that come to play every every night, and you have a coach that is actually a coach. You know, that's just the only thing missing from this team is a, G, a competent GM, a, a competent owner, and a superstar. You know, it's funny. Like, leave with this. You know, like the 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 the, the tired trope and like the really problematic statement of like, oh, just shut up and dribble. Yeah. You know, sometimes I feel like with the owners, just just kind of shut up and write a check. You know, yeah. it's like I just kind of like I don't need you talking. Like Steve Ballmer, Steve Ballmer don't do nothing but write, spend money on that team, and it's just out there courtside every single game, waving his arms and yelling. <laughs> and great and, enthusiasm, <laughs> just a lot yeah. of support for his players in every aspect, even too much sometimes. But you rather have too much than too little, and he seems to really appreciate the guys. But like you said, Justin, we could probably jump into this for a long time, considering everything that's going on. I appreciate you hopping on, sharing a lot of great thoughts, and uh, big thanks to everybody for listening. Check the buzz on all streaming platforms. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more 
and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.